You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. Hello, welcome to the first episode of the X-Man podcast. And I'm your host, I am the X-Man, Doc Coyle. You might know me from my previous band, God Forbid, which is where the X comes from. Uh, Yeah, I'm really excited to actually start doing this. This is, um, I'd say excited and also nervous because I've thought about doing a podcast and even actually started doing one a few years ago that never got off the ground. And I'm an avid fan of podcasts. I listen to so many and I'm such an an appreciator of the form that in a way it's made me apprehensive to actually get into it because I have such respect for it. You know, I, I think some people look at it as, oh, it's just some people talking and anyone can do it and it's easy when you really get into it and you look at the the high-end uh podcasts the ones that are produced really well and you see that it you know it is a a form of of broadcasting and there are so many different styles and and ways to do it so in in a lot of ways for me it came down to why did i want to do this you know because i i felt like it wasn't really worth it to get out in the the kind of marketplace of ideas unless I had really something unique um, to say and something that I didn't feel like was repetitive because because it is in some ways anyone can do it there is obviously there's an influx of content there's more podcasts out there you could say the same for music then people can actually consume so the uh you have to do something really good if if people are actually going to pay attention to it so i'm definitely of the mindset i don't really want to do something unless i think it's going to be at at somewhat of a competent level so so that's what kind of took a while for me was to really figure out all right how did i want to do it what was what was the style um and what was my angle because i didn't want to just do a different version of someone else's show so that's when i came up with the idea for the x-man and being someone who has who was the member of of another band quit you know as a 30 something year old guy and had to figure out what to do with his life and where to go next and being a writer and one of the primary subjects that i tackled was that idea the transition of being having your life being one thing and being a musician and a touring musician at that is such a specific uh, lifestyle that when that evaporates 
and you have to figure out what to do next, it can be extremely daunting and it can be stressful. And so that's what I wanted to pinpoint on is these transitions. So I wanted to talk with different artists. You know, a lot of it's going to be musicians. It's going to be people who are my friends um, who have gone through similar stuff, you know, and probably have had much different experiences than me. But that that's what I wanted my angle to be. So, yeah, we're going to talk about music and, you know, stuff in that realm. But it's actually going to be about life and dealing with obstacles and dealing with challenges, you know, because I think that's really interesting and being honest about it because much like my uh, writing where I think honesty was the key point of saying, all right, here are my flaws. Here's where I have failed because that's what people connect to. You know, there's so much out there of people and musicians and people in the, in the, the public eye putting out a perception that everything is great and they're crushing it and every day is awesome. And the truth is it's, you know, things aren't that way. And we, we have these fears and these anxieties and things that we're not sure of, you know, and that's really what this is. This is like another venture. This is something where I, I think about, can I do this? Well, am I going to be good at it? Are people going to like it? You know, and it's important that, that honesty, there's a through line there. Um, Cause I think that's, what's interesting. There's very little interesting to me about someone bullshitting and pretending that things that they're just 100% on point. And, you know, sometimes you're not, you know, and I think it's kind of, I like to dig into that stuff and see what's happening in those murky spaces of, um, where things aren't settled. I also think that podcasts in a, in a lot of ways, it's like having a website now where, if you're involved in any form of media, it's just if you deal with any any website, you know, or writing element or even musicians, like pretty much every entity has some form of podcast because it's just another format to kind of give your view on things and kind of promote whatever it is you work on. You know, I, um, as much as I've gotten into writing I've always felt, all right, I'm working on a particular piece. It would be great to bring someone on and kind of talk about a particular subject. So to be truthful, it's going to be experimental. I'm going to try different things. Uh, the format might change and evolve. I want to do some topical things uh, because I, I, I like that idea. I don't want it to just be biography where we're talking about how did you get here? Um I want to, you know, maybe I'll bring on a particular musician or some someone in, involved in this world and we'll talk about politics or we'll talk about sports or sometimes we'll just talk about their their particular life. So I'm going to play around with things and, you know, I'm sure over time things will settle. It'll probably start rough and tumble like this and hopefully with time we'll, we'll improve things. So I think it's important as well to kind of give listeners to this an idea of what I've been up to if I haven't been keeping up with it to a certain degree I'm a bit of a band whore of late I'll take you through each of my projects first of which is an original band called Vegas Nerve which I started in New Jersey with a bunch of friends of mine out there and with that band we did a Kickstarter campaign to finish our EP and it's gone great even though it's kind of tough doing a long distance band but we're slated to release that EP called Visceral on September 30th of 2016. Hopefully this podcast will be out before that date and you guys can can check it out. We're going to be releasing independently. So, you know, look out for 
any advertisements or things we kind of do to get the word out there. But it's pretty cool. It's a lot different than, God forbid, it's more rock-oriented and more melody-driven, but something I'm really excited about, and hopefully we get to do some shows. Um, some of you might have seen me play with a band called Maytal, which is uh, everything is uh, coming from the drummer, Maytal Cohen, who is a famous, who became famous uh, from YouTube doing drum covers, and she put together an original band, and I ended up going on tour with her band. And in the beginning of the year, we opened for Queensryche, and it was pretty awesome. But unfortunately, we split with the singer at the end of the tour, and so now we are, you know, actually since the tour, we've been looking for someone, but haven't really had much luck, and then Maytal hurt her wrist. Uh, she broke her wrist skateboarding, so things kind of went, uh, you know, we had to put stuff on the back burner. So hopefully I'll be doing something something with Maytal in the future. That band is awesome. Music is great. I didn't really have much to do with its creation, but it was really fun to play and really great to get back out on the road. And I just joined another band, which you'll find out about later in this episode. Um, on the writing front, I haven't gone public with this because I wasn't really sure how to address it, but essentially um, I started writing for VH1 as the modern metal columnist going back to February of last year. And unfortunately, at the beginning of 2016, they changed their format and they dropped all heavy metal and hard rock. So that is definitely uh, unfortunate. And I stayed on to do pop culture stuff, but their entire kind of way of doing things changed a little bit. So I wrote a couple articles and to be truthful, I've just been busy and haven't really had a chance. And the guy I was dealing with left the company. So it's a little bit questionable as how much writing I'll be doing for VH1 in the future. We'll see. Um, I was also writing for Creative Live, which was a, a, a their music blog dealing with mostly music industry uh, topics and stuff directly related to musicians and they put a halt on their whole music blog in general so that's why I haven't been writing for them so most of the stuff I've done lately which hasn't been that much has been primarily through dotcoil.net I did a couple I've resurrected my NBA blog called hoop logic did a couple articles for that and Right now, it's just been the last few months have been very music centric. I've been working on new Vegas Nerve songs, um, and I flew out to New Jersey to do a music video with those guys, which will be coming out soon. And I have a new band, you know, that I just said I, you will find out I'll be playing with coming up. So writing has been a little bit on the back burner. I'm trying to develop a um, a balance. I think it's it's tough. When you're a creative person, you have a lot of things. And I'm I'm definitely more of a quality, not quantity guy. It's difficult for me to just churn things out. I need to I really have to sit with things and I take my time. And unfortunately, sometimes it doesn't lead to the most production overall. But uh hopefully things come out as they as they can. And when they do come out, there it's stuff I definitely put a lot of work and pay attention to a lot of detail. So things will be coming. I'm hopefully going to revamp .coil.net and a lot of my projects and writing stuff will filter through there. And uh, yeah, you know, I definitely just want to stay busy and keep doing things. And this is the podcast is another hub for, for these things. I get to talk with people and connect and I don't know. I just think it's it's an exciting 
adventure and a, and a new thing to try out. So I'm really looking forward to it. The last thing I want to talk about is Mr. is our guest, the uh, very talented and my uh, really good friend John Berklin, uh, the X Man from Devil Driver, who has a new band called Eye of Tongues, and yeah, uh, John is is one of my best friends out in L.A. I don't know if I'm I repeat this in our interview, but um, since I moved out here, me and him have spent a lot of time together, and I've known him for a long time, and I love the dude. And me and him are the type of guy we get together and we talk for hours and hours and hours about heavy metal and about music and about just the things we're passionate about. We really are kindred spirits. And so this talk was almost like me wanting to bring other people into the same conversations me and him have till four in the morning <laughs> talking about Metallica or some tour we did back in the day. Um, so I really hope you guys enjoy this. And yeah, he hasn't spoken a lot to the public. So hopefully there are some insights here that weren't already out in the ethos. So check it out. Hello there, Doc. <laughs> How are you, buddy? I'm good, man. It's glad to have you, have you here. We uh we postponed. We were supposed to do this yesterday, and then I had a uh, an horrific back injury, so I had to postpone this. You know, so I'm here, hopped up on muscle relaxers um, and Gotta coffee. Stay off the basketball court, buddy. Go stay off. I'll never stop. All right, I don't care. <laughs> all right, I I love it. All right, I'm gonna go down. I'm gonna figure it out. I'm gonna get some uh, you know, some Terminator arms put in. Uh, I'll get you know uh, the lawn. You remember the Lawnmower Man? Oh yeah, Stephen King. That's right. I'm gonna get Lawnmower Man back, even though that was virtual. I'm gonna get a virtual back. I'm gonna do something like that. But I'm I just say, saw that movie again. It's so terrible. Yeah, it didn't. But guess what? Ironically, about the Lawnmower Man, now virtual reality is real. Now, like finally, like you know, twenty years later, twenty five years later, it it exists. So we can be the lawnmower man, but but better, and hopefully not kill a bunch of people. So anyway, thank you for being my first guest. How do you feel, man? Good. I just want to talk about lawnmower man the whole time. But we're, no. we're not. We're not gonna do, have <laughs> you been on a podcast before? Uh, yeah, I remember doing them when uh, like around '08 or something. And that's a long time ago. Yeah, and I didn't really even know what I was doing. Like podcasts, I was like, yeah, sure. You might have been on the first podcast. Yeah, different like Kerrang or something. Yeah. Okay, right on. Well, all right. So the name of the show is the X Men, and part of the reason why it's called that is because I am an X member of a band called God Forbid, and. One of the entry points as far as uh, getting into the podcast world for me was about kind of doing something a little unique and speaking to my personal experience and not just copy some, something that someone else is doing. And so I really wanted to touch upon that experience of what it's like to leave something that you've been doing for a long time and kind of what the transition is like into the next realm or career or whatever. So... Um, Kind of just starting starting from this, and I don't know if you've you spoke, spoken about this, but how did you end up leaving Devil Driver, you know, to whatever end you want to kind of get into that? Um, let's see, where, where would I start? Um, you know, I, I decided to leave the band, you know, um, and it's like the best way I can put it, 12 years I was in that band, it was just like a bad marriage 
towards the end where it was a poisonous relationship. Um, whose fault is that? I'm not really going to get into any of that stuff because I think it's really in poor taste from what I've noticed. Stuff online when ex-band members leave something and they really go full out on the details of why and stuff, it just looks like just finger-pointing bullshit. Like, you know, it's like it can really just chalk it up to I was really unhappy. And, you know, I still talk with most of the members and but, you know, to lay some truth out there, you know, it was between me and Des that were the most unhappy together, you know, and we just, I wouldn't call it public knowledge, but we've definitely, the biggest strain in the band was usually me and him, you know, um, for whatever reasons, you know. Um, so it just came to a head over one of millions of arguments we've had, you know, and, uh, and it was really simple and it was adult actually the way it ended and I know Des has spoken about some of this in the press already. And some of the stuff he says upset me a little bit, but I'm not really looking to attack anybody. Um, it was just, it literally happened via text, like, hey, man, you know, here we are again, like another stupid, over, like, blown out argument, you know, over something really actually pretty stupid. And he was like, if you're not happy and I'm not happy, like, you know, why are we doing this? And I was just like, you're right. Like, I think it's time for me to step off. And that's that was the first, that was around July of 2014. Around July of 2014. And so, you know, it was still handled correctly to the point where it was like, okay, uh, it wasn't some huge blowout like that to the point where I was like, you know, hey, I'll finish the Australian tour we have online. I'll do this not fest show. And then that, that'll be it because the cycle was ending there. So, and it was like, okay. Uh, yeah, it was a bit awkward during rehearsals and stuff, knowing that it was my last time doing that stuff. But uh, so that's when it, the, the decision to leave happened. And uh, there's not much really else to say. You know, um, I can give you a plenty of opinions what it's like to be a person that leaves something like that and where that leaves you. It's it's pretty brutal. Um, I will say, use a word like resentment happens. Resentment. You're re who do you? Re you I, re I resent the fact that when you leave something that you put twelve years into, and you don't get to have it anymore. You know, like because of relationships. You know, it just sucked that something I built for twelve years. You know, when we first started, it was. We weren't some huge banners. I mean, we really had to work and build. And it just, it's just, it's tough to like just build up a company and leave, you know? Um, but that lasted for, you know, resentment is just like, that just sucks, but that's my own issue. But you when know? you say resentment, you resent the fact that the band still exists, you resent the people in the band, you res what, I don't. I resent the fact that relationships, like, uh, to watch my words, you know, just, it's like, uh, there was just no more, no more options and that I resent the fact that things got so bad that I had to leave the one thing that I'd built my life around, if that makes sense, you know? Yeah. Uh, so is that, is that you could be a little bit bitter about it, but it was also a very huge sense of relief. It's just bittersweet. The grass is always greener, you know? Um, it's, uh, I will say that after leaving, you know, it's been two years more now. Um, 
you you do re- you realize some of the stuff I took for granted, you know, like some of the success and stuff like that. Like I just thought it would always keep going, you know, like our, you know, and then, you know, I, I do realize now I just reflected more how hard we worked to get where we were and to walk away from something like that. It's just difficult. It's a difficult decision. Did that happen in the last year or a few years or was it something that was building for years and years, like five, six years? Uh, well, so a lot of people don't know this. I quit in 2008. Did um, not know that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I quit for about a week, week and a half. So this is something that I battled with for years. And you could look at it too. Des probably battled with firing me, you know. Did uh, he have that ability? Like if he yes, wanted to, he could yes. have fired Des you? Yes, you know, Des is the sole owner of the name Devil Driver. So. We operated on many ways as a democracy and, and stuff like that. But in terms of if Des really didn't want me there, he could fire me at any time. What do you? So his issues with you did not equal your wanting to leave. Like, what do you think was stopping him from maybe firing you? Uh, you know, I actually read somewhere where he was discussing me and get, getting asked about me and, and my departure. And he said, you know, he just felt that the band members were, you know, because he doesn't write music, and that the price he had to pay with me, because I, I, I was the, pretty much the main songwriter for a long time. Um, he just figured that it's a price he had to pay because we were the sound of the band. And uh, so when a relationship got tumultuous, uh, you know, that's this is how it was. He, 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 I'm, you know, obviously interpreting what you're saying and projecting a little bit that the value that you brought as a songwriter it was replacing that he felt was too too much to just go ahead and and bring the axe down yeah and the same goes for me i thought man this is tough right now and um try and reevaluate do i really want to be in this but it, it meant too much to me to quit too you know like that's why i quit but i came back you know um it just meant too much to me you know yeah. So uh, do you know, and I don't know if you're in a position to say this, do you know if Jeff Kendrick, who is the other guitar player, uh, who left at the same time as you, is that, am I correct? Uh, publicly, it was announced at the same time that we were both departing, um, but I decided to leave, and it was maybe a month later that I remember Jeff called or texted me and said, I'm leaving too. Um, so it wasn't part of the same situation i honestly don't remember what if there was some sort of uh final straw that happened with that situation but uh it was based on a couple things jeff not really wanting i I know for years jeff was not the happiest camper with touring um and then yeah relationship stuff and i think with the band like me being gone and where his place would lie. Uh, he just was like, I guess I was, he was over it, you know? Yeah. Well, Jeff, Jeff strikes me, and, and Jeff is a great guy. Uh, definitely one of the guys I was, you know, close to. I mean, people might not know, but God forbid toured with Devil Driver, I'd say three times or something like that. You know? I don't know, but that European tour was always goes down as one of my favorites. <clears throat> yeah, so in 2007 or 2008? 2008. Seven or eight. One yeah. of those. We shared a tour bus, God forbid, and Devil Driver in Europe, and uh, let's say lots of liquor was 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 drank, drunk, 
Drunken? Yeah, that Drunken? was that was one of the the more excessive tours that I did. Like, and I look back on it very fondly. <laughs> I th- I could have swore you 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 thought about it as being. Like you're like, oh, that tour was rough. Like you guys were having a rough time. I thought you you'd said that recently. Actually, so I should bring bring something. So, since John is one of my best friends around here, me and him, you know, we'll get together, we'll throw a couple back, and we'll talk about the old days. You know, like a couple of Vietnam vets, uh, yeah. you know, to the to the wee hours of the of of the morning and kind of rehash these old stuff. So it's part really of- cool to to have a relationship with you live in the same area. Where we can, we just been through a lot of the same things. So you and me, it seems like the conversation can never end. You know, we can just except you guys sold more records and drew more people and made more money. That, but <laughs> yeah, but he's know. like, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, but you know, other than that, yeah. Well, <laughs> it was just, uh, yeah. You had a long haul, so did I. And uh, hey, people have longer hauls though. So, but yeah, what were you getting? What was the point? Like, uh, oh no, I was. Oh, I'm kind of getting back to the point. Was Jeff's reason for leaving, was it connected to you leaving? Or was it, was it kind of like, were you leaving, it kind of gave him a, a, an out? Or a, It didn't a, give him an out. I think it just gave him the confidence, maybe, to be like, hey, he did it. So can I. Because moving on from that, leaving a band when it's like you're not working and you, you know, I'm looking at 12 years now with no job history, really. You know, it's like, it's kind of terrifying to be like, all right, I'm gonna step off this, and uh, and if you see someone else do it who you know, you go. If he did it, I can do it. You know. Okay. All right. Because there always was a feeling, to be honest, of being, like I said, I quit in 2008, came back. Um, there would be many nights I would, you know, I'm not gonna call them sleepless nights or something, but like, like I didn't have the confidence to just leave because I, I was a little scared of what life would be. You know. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like your time in that band? Uh did you did it feel like a dictatorship? I know you use the word democracy, but did you feel like kind of under the thumb of a singular guy? I mean, considering Des, you know, and his uh, success and fame with Cold Chamber and, and how much that propelled Devil Driver in the in the early years, you know, just getting a record deal and being able to land tours with you know Superjoint w- Ritual and some of the bigger bands, getting on Ozfest with his relationship with the Osbournes. Um, did you feel that that well, power be- difference, like kind of absolutely, know, was, was um, and in the beginning, whether I liked it or not, rightfully so, you know, like <laughs> Des, like none of that stuff would have happened, like my life in music, if I never met that dude and we never connected and made, and he, you know, his his name got got Roadrunner interested and his name got us the tours and and our start is a much prettier than most other bands. You yeah. know, it's like we really, I would essentially say didn't have to pay our dues and I would owe all that to Des, you know? So yeah, he was, he was, he was, he was my boss, so to speak, you know, and uh, me being the kind of guy I am just after years, that would, that would, that would strain our relationship, you know, um, to answer your question, if I think it is. Yeah. And I, you know, and hopefully uh, if this gets around, I'd hope, you know, Des understand. I, I, I really like Des and I've always gotten along with him and had, had fun meeting. We, we shared a tour bus. We had one little, <laughs> one, one little, uh, time we butted heads, but, um, yeah, I mean, dude, I'll, for every time me and Des were just, you could cut the tension with a knife in the air 
for every time that there was there's another just brothers in arms story there you know it's like we went through hell as friends and we went through the best of times as friends you know yeah yeah and i've you know and especially his uh his ability as a performer is something i've always respected and been like you know that guy he there's a reason why he had that success with cold chamber then you know people don't i don't think people really understand how hard it is to have success with two different bands in two different eras crazy right you know uh and that's the thing i to be honest des has been some sort of inspiration to me in terms of i'm in the exact same age and situation he was in when he basically quit cold chamber and started a new band yeah. you know and, it, and it, going back to like jeff what i was saying if jeff did it you know Je jeff was like oh if john quit i can quit and and i'm kind of like also like hey man des did it i can do it you know yeah. what i mean <laughs> i think the only the biggest difference is that in in many ways the music industry really values the idea of the lead singer yeah <laughs> and what that kind of as like a as a totem and a brand you know we're just you know they don't call him a front man for nothing yeah well des is also i mean i can't i'm not com i'm comparing the idea of the situation but also des is 10 times more famous than i am as a name even when when cold chamber you know when cold chamber stopped uh so uh my road is it's not as easy as it was for him too you know because my even when you think devil driver you think des you don't think oh yeah jeff kendrick john berkland you know what i mean and that's always and always will be the case you know yeah no I mean, and 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 i think he understood that and obviously there's there's things you know um that we shouldn't pr probably, you know, we shouldn't talk about on the podcast. They're not, they, these are more private details, but, um, you know, I'm sure some of those things, you know, are reasons why you're not with the band. Kind of uh, pivoting off that, I, I kind of want to talk about Devil Driver in that a lot of people don't know, or as far as I know, a lot of people don't know that you were, or, or maybe you can kind of clarify this for me, that you were the main songwriter for the uh, band well, for the bar is, is that is that bad terminology i would say it's inaccurate because the way the band even started there was a guy named evan pitt yeah um him and des for the most part um most of that record was written by him and evan the first Devil yeah the Driver. first one and then when kendrick and i and miller came in songs like good songs like i could care less kendrick wrote a lot of that um but we came in just to an album that was pretty much done. So that is, I was nowhere near the main song. Well, but let's that. let's let's give some scale to this. There's that's the first album. How many albums since the first album? Yeah, and then what, five more. It just it as it kept progressing, I just kept, I I just became more and more and more involved. You know, um, and and then yeah, at some definitely at one point you'd be like, yeah, I don't think anyone in the band would contest that. That say I was the main songwriter, but uh, and addition to writing a lot on these records you were also performing even a lot of the guitar and bass tracking in the studio is that is that correct yeah that's correct i feel like i'm i'm, I'm like a we're in a we're in trial is it not yeah. correct <laughs> that on the fifth you tracked the bass guitar <laughs> yeah and that that just stems from uh i guess you could say like laziness too on my part because i'd be like i wrote this let's say i wrote a whole song It'd be like, I can play guitar, and it's like, I know exactly how I want it to be done. Do I want to sit there and teach the other guys to make sure that it's totally fine, or why not I can just do it? 
You know what I mean? So it wasn't like a power trip kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I never gathered that. I mean, I think everyone's... I drum- love recording guitars. I love it. <laughs> I think it's... Uh, drums can just be a little physical and stuff. I just like recording rhythm guitars. Yeah, I'm not a lead player. I cannot play lead for the fucking life of me. But I just love like tracking bass and guitars. I think it's so much fun in the studio. So it was never seen as like a daunting task to me too either. Well, I wasn't even even getting at that. I just think it's... I don't really think the public at large or at least fans who are connected to the band or connected to that scene in metal really understand what um, how impactful you leaving and, and, and Jeff leaving as well did to, you know, kind of figure out, oh, how is this going to change the Devil Driver sound and and creatively where the band was kind of going to go uh, in, the, in, the, in, in the future records? You know, I'm, I'm just saying like it's it's the same thing like when Dallas left, God forbid. There was a big question mark on how was that going to change? You know, we were a band that had the same five members from yeah. 19, 1998 until 2009. So it's, you know, 11 years and that's, you know, five records or however, however much uh, output, I think, or four records. I'm sorry. Um, well, so. good, good example of that with the question mark thing. Evan Pitts, you know, was the main songwriter and they got signed off basically his work, you know. So I remember when Evan quit. I don't even know if he was quick. That's a whole other long story. But um, in general, I remember Monty Connor calling Des. He'd be like, what do you, what, he's the main guy. Like, what are you thinking? Like, <laughs> he's got to be in the band. And at that time, too, Evan was very, uh, not to use the word controlling, it was just his band, him and Des's band. So it's like we weren't really allowed to write. And if yeah. we did, it would just go to the side. But so Monty called and he's like, talk to Berkland. And so I got on the phone with Monty. And I was like, dude, just trust me. Let me send you four demos. And this is, this happened to be like, you know, end of the line stuff off the fury stuff. Like, and here he was like, Oh my bad. <laughs> like, wait a second now. So was this bef- this is before the second album come out? Yeah. Evan left. We, you know, and, and we, yeah, had- but by the time we guys toured, you was still the first album and he wasn't there. Yeah. I'm just talking about in terms of getting picked up for a second record. Oh, okay. So you guys didn't have a, a locked-in deal for the second record. It was an option. It, yeah, it was an option, but, I mean, if you're head in A&R and one of the, the main songwriters leaves a band, you're going to question what you're doing. You well, know? I'm going to be straight-up honest. You know, and I've, I've told you this before, but I'll tell you again and to whoever who's, who's listening to this, is that I was not a big fan of the first Devil Driver record. Um, you know, I, I think the whatever pushback kind of Devil Driver got from the more elitist metal community or the real metal community, however, however you want to want to say it was that uh, considering Dez's background and the way that kind of record sounds, it still had a big kind of foothold in the kind of more new metal. It's it's a very uninteresting record to me. Guitar wise, there was so much, many, so many stones left unturned. We were just moving quickly, and that record is a vocal record, like, yeah. you know. And like Des did a killer job at making good hooks on it and stuff. And me and him would argue about it all the time. Like I'd be like, "That's my least favorite album." He like, "It's my favorite," you know, like yeah. or whatever. So, um, but part of the reason why this second record I think is now revered as our best, my favorite, s- second and third, is like there was there was so much excitement that Evan was gone, and that me and my three other best friends could write a record that we always wanted to, you know. So. Just to let you know, Evan. He just said they celebrated when you left, <laughs> right? They had a, you know what I'm saying? They, I love they, they threw a huge party, man. Just remember that next no. time you see John, all right? Punch love, him square in the nose. I love Evan. He's got a <laughs> he's got a great heart. Um, but I'm just kidding, Evan. It was like 
hey guys, like it's it's on us now. Like we we can, and we were fully aware that we could deliver something that was more fitting in the like that was more competitive. Well, also, you know, um, and I don't want to speak for you, but also more representative of where you guys were feeling what what music were you were into and what was getting you going and what oh, was yeah. You know. We were we were in love with, you know, since like two thousand one to like Lamb of God, stuff like that. That was the kind of stuff heard that, everybody that we liked. But we the bands we were in before Devil Driver didn't reflect that at all because we could never really find a good screamer. So we started doing less heavier stuff. But with Dez I was so excited, man. Like, you know, the I, I love Des a scream and I think he's got a very unique voice, you know, and he, he stands out. So, um, I agree. It was very cool to have someone that you had up a lot of confidence in, you know? Yeah. It's, um, you know, uh, you know, I think, you know, God forbid had issues probably before that record on gone forever because we were like changing our sound to be a bit more, you know, I dare I say accessible or more, I'd say, uh, you know, probably more accurate. Just a we, we were go, striding towards being more of a traditional heavy metal band, you know, um, and kind of less being chaotic. And yeah, nappy. Determination was like more even. Uh, what was the first one? Uh, Reject the Sickness. Yeah, it's, it's very off the wall. Well, like I, I, play, I played that shit. for you. You never really listened to it, right? No, you played for me little bit ago i was like this is like cave-in and like all you know you were it's all a, over the place yeah it is it's like suffocation and then we have yeah. like a beat down hardcore part and then we have an at the gates part and then we'd have 77 parts in each each song oh yeah and it was uh very it's pretty it sucks that add and adderall became popular years after that style because if everyone was on had add you know a couple years later i think that album would probably be platinum Right yeah. now, because people would get it, because it was you know we were zigging and zagging and going left and right. It's pretty crazy. A lot of those early Devil Drive records. Thanks Adderall. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of that going around. That was fun. Good. It's good that's on record now. Just yeah. let you know that yeah. future employers. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, nah, you know, uh, I mean Miller ended up getting a little carried away with drugs, and I think that's well documented and stuff. And. uh you know, we've since rekindled our relationship, but in general, there was no real drug problems and stuff like that with the band and stuff. Drinking was usually the, the drug of choice. Yeah. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Yeah! 
You know you need protein to fuel results, but it's not easy when you're drinking the same bland chalky shake every day. Stop punishing yourself and get to GNC for the best protein in the game, including all the hottest brands and crave-worthy flavors that'll keep you coming back for more. We're talking protein that legit tastes like cookies, your favorite cereals, indulgent desserts, and more. So bust out of your protein rut and actually look forward to those shakes with unbeatable protein at unbeatable prices. Fuel your fitness with protein at GNC. So kind of, um, you know, going... You know, I don't. I don't want to dwell on on Devil Driver too much because, like I said, the show is about the transition from one thing to another. But, but there's so much from that that I definitely, you know, I don't think I like. To- I like to talk about Devil Driver because I was, I was, am very proud of what we did and how much we accomplished. So, yeah, I know it. I remember also too when Evan and started a new band and he did his first interview. I remember it's like. It was a 50-minute interview, about 45 minutes of it was about Devil Driver, and he was only on one album, you know? <laughs> yeah, but he was proud of what he had I was just That's what the person asking the questions wanted to know about, yeah. you know? Well, that's not all, all I want to know, but there is, you know, I, I think it's important because you haven't been super vocal, and you haven't been out there doing 50 million interviews, and a lot of people, you know, ha- don't really know what you've been up to uh, since mm-hmm. leaving the band, and we're going to get into that. But uh, before that, um, one thing I'm really fascinated with is... You know, what's, you know, can you tell me and tell people listening to this, like, what is it like getting to the point that you're in a band where you, you're making a decent living, you're playing, you're headlining shows, you know, and you're, you're you know, you get in the point where you're headlining big theaters, you're headlining over bands that you, you know, respected, and all of a sudden, you, you know, you're, for all intents and purposes, a success story doing extreme music. It's not you guys weren't on the radio. You weren't that kind of a band. I mean, you were really unique and, and established yourselves and created, you know, this cult following. And, you know, what what, what was that like? That was like ecstasy, man. It was, <laughs> it was you uh, having the best job in the world. I mean, I could still find issues with day-to-day problems in terms of, like, getting down about whatever. But I vividly remember couldn't couldn't have been happier. So you had a tour where you headlined over Cannibal Corpse? No, we did a co-headliner. And or was then, that Behemoth? Uh, yeah. It was, I think there's two of those that went down um, in the UK. And uh, one of them was like, yeah, it was us, Behemoth, Suicide Silence, like these stack bills that were awesome and great shows. And, and, and how, the, how, how big are those shows? How many people do you play in front of? Uh... Well, like the Cannibal one, where in the UK we were the headliner. Like, you know, we did the forums. I think it was sold out like 2,500, 2,800 people. Stuff. And you guys closed or they closed? We closed. And so you're closed. Did, did, was there a walkout or did people stay? No, I believe they stayed. Yeah. You, I, you know, Doc, I believe they stayed. I believe they stayed. And it was awesome. Yeah, I mean, I can't tell you what a, if anybody loves music, you know, it's like when your agent calls you, how about this bill? You know, you guys, Cannibal Corpse, Black Dahlia. I like, you're like, pfft. What? <laughs> but also to be uh, uh, when we hit the mainland, though, then it was um, they closed. cannibal closed. Yeah. Yeah. And stuff like that. So. But even still, I mean, Cannibal Corpse, that's a band you grew up listening yeah. to that you revere that you put on this pedestal. Yeah. I would assume so. Or maybe not. Maybe I'm, I don't. Oh, I put them on a huge pedestal. And, and even in the mainland, it was still co-billing. You know, yeah. So it was cool. Yeah. It was those kind of. I mean, uh, even in America, Man, to just you know, even with like like co-headlining with like Whitechapel and stuff, those newer bands that are so competitive, uh, hard band to tour with, you know. But uh, yeah, because they are fucking 
just fucking demons up there. They you bring know? the thunder, man. They, yeah, they bring the pain. That was fucking cheesy, but yeah. Uh, bring the pain, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to just answer your question, like, it's as good as you think it feels. Uh, and it's it's so reassuring, man, like, of just, I knew I was supposed to do this. Like, you know, <laughs> uh, that kind of mentality. And, like, it just brings happiness and, and fucking, not like I was someone seeking, a person who's seeking validation all the time, but... It just, goddamn, did it feel good, and um, just being on the feeling like you're in life, you're on the path you're supposed to be. You know, did um, you know, like your parents and stuff like that? Were they? Oh, they loved it. Were they? The, but it, was that like a kind of when you hit that moment, or when they get to see you do like a big, uh, you know, U.S. headline show, and all of a sudden they come see you, and, and it's not at Ozfest or something where you're obviously one of many, but it's your show, and there's a shitload of people there. Yeah, I mean, we get I mean, the biggest how- kick out of that. Like my dad, but you know, he's he me and him like to drink or whatever. You know, like after the show, he'd be like, "You're doing it, man. You're really doing it." Like you know, and my mother, this is, she is the reason why I'm here. She's the number one supporter of me. Always has been. Like always behind my had my back with like getting me gear when I was a kid. Bought my first drum set. Like she believed in me. And you know, there'll be 20 people at a show if I played in the beginning or whatever. You know, she just you're a you know you're amazing you know (laughs) just uh always telling me i'm the best you're my son that's great support is important remember that parents Mm -hmm. tell your uh your young young children that they're on the right path well hopefully on the right path don't be if you have a whack-ass band and you're terrible also tell your kids that you know don't let these motherfuckers walking around disillusioned oh my dad was that guy Oh, when like you were when, it comes, when it comes to material and stuff, he'd be like, ah, I don't know, it's not so good. Oh yeah, he would keep it real with you. Yeah, and, and like our live show, he's like, ah, you know, you know. Uh, when we were starting off, you know, he'd like watch us, and then he watched the headliner. Oh yeah, that headliner went way better than you guys. Yeah. <laughs> like keep like, oh that inflames band. Yeah, yeah, they got their shit together. Or I remember like some Slipknot shows. I'm like, why aren't you doing stuff like that, John? Jesus, <laughs> look at those masks. You like, know, my my <laughs> aunt and mother came out to the Ozfest we did with you guys and I saw and I saw my aunt not, not that long ago in Jersey and she was like that show was incredible yeah Slipknot she's still talking about Slipknot <laughs> it's, 12 years went by yeah you know you did that you know you can get the um the 50 plus black woman demographic as a metal band you know you're on to something uh <laughs> all right so uh so all right so you leave the band two years ago roughly Mm-hmm. Something around that, uh, around around two years ago. So, what? I'll tell you did, wh- how wh- I started. <laughs> all right, you. T- all right, yeah. What do you do? Like, you decide now before you des- like said I'm leaving the band. Did you have a plan before, or you kind of quit the band and then you then you figured it out? Um, I always thought I had plans. <laughs> you, you, you know, like, uh, but to be honest, sorry, I, I I quit and I'm like, all right. The number one goal is to not repeat myself. I do not, I have zero interest in putting out a Devil Driver Part 2. It just won't be as good. Yeah. And uh, so given that, I went on a long journey because I can write songs. Uh, oh, oh, you can write songs? I can write okay. songs. Don't break your arm, pat yourself on the back, yeah, bro. Yeah. No, I meant like, not like, oh, I can write a song. <laughs> I meant like, okay, at least as a departure for someone who can't write songs in a big band might be a different experience. Yeah. But for me, it's like, okay, I can, I can bet on myself a little bit. You're in control of your fate. Yeah, so... I started off and I went all over the map of writing different kinds of rock music and stuff like that, thinking that I didn't want to do metal anymore, that kind of stuff. And that stuff's all still laying around. And uh, 
I remember at one point it got absurd. Like I, I, we, I checked out this song I wrote, and I was like, this is just fucking shit what, like, what know, stuff uh, what, what uh, stuff was it it's just with certain people i was working on a band and shit is the wrong word it was just like i couldn't it was so poppy and like and just i was like this is i can't do this like you know like but i wanted to see what i was capable of trying and and what i would react to and liked so you were being experimental yeah um and some of that stuff i still like and i'll or so, musically, or, you know, or say sowing your creative oats. Yeah, kind of get getting out there. <coughs> and uh, but kind of, but but even before that, but even not just from a creative standpoint or music standpoint. Uh, in a sense, you'd left a job that you knew you you know maybe you didn't know exactly you were make, but it was pretty predictable as far as how you're going to pay your bills. What did you think, or what did you do about that? Like, what did you just say? All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna go into this field, or I'm gonna pay my bills like this, or what what was that kind of thought process like? Um, simultaneously, while trying to get a new creative vision going, I also stepped into management and uh, Man- management of what, John? Musical acts. Ma- so an artist manager. Yeah, uh, and a good friend of mine, Eric German, who's a lawyer, kind of took me under his wing and introduced me to certain people and kind of just you know help spread the word when I was like shopping a band or whatever he would help me out with that and I owe a lot to him and then you know my first crack of that was like painted wise I got them signed to Century Media working with another band called In Search of Sun still and uh they you know looks like they're gonna get a deal any any day now so so you you got into artist management primarily as like this is a way. This is kind of like your day job, or is this something you're actually you're passionate about? What 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 is it about that artist management that, that I would dr- say, I would say I had a passion for just uh, helping people out, and also when you love a band, you just want to see them do well. And also, I remember sometimes when I play a show and my manager would be on tour with us for like a couple of days. You know, you walk in the door, I'm like. That motherfucker just made a lot of money. Like, you know, it's like, it's also a possible end game for me, you know, uh, in terms of, yeah, I'm not going to be possibly playing drums when I'm 60 or something. So in a sense, it's, uh, it, it has a backup plan to a certain degree. Like it has a backup f- plan written all over it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's something you feel like you can do. Do you feel like you can adequately be an artist and be an artist manager at the same time and give both kind of what they both need? Depending on how... You know, depending on your uh, your drive, yeah. Look at like you know Blasco, people like that dabble well, in both. Well, if people don't know. Uh, Blasco is the bass player for Ozzy Osbourne. He's also played for Rob, Rob Zombie, Zombie. Um, and he's he runs a management called Mercenary Management, and they manage. He also manages Devil Driver now. Oh, he manages Devil Driver. He's getting uh, the money that John would have gotten <laughs> had he stayed in the band before he <laughs> fucked up. <laughs> yeah. No, no, but he manages uh, in this moment. Butcher Baby, Zach Wilds, uh, uh, what's that band? The Black Veil Brides. So, um, yeah, he's very successful. And, and a really, really cool guy. And there was a couple conversations we had about you know uh, him giving me advice. I remember he was like, I asked him about management. He goes, man, 10 years ago when I stopped being in Rob Zombie, I was in the same shoes as you right now, you know, and... And uh, he presented a couple opportunities for me that didn't uh, never really got to go through. But just in general, he was a very sweet man and returned my emails, stuff like that, questions. 
Yeah, just remember, Blasco, you're a sweet man. Sweet man. That's right. And that's how the next time we see you, we're going to greet you uh, as being very sweet. Uh, no, no. Um, and to give you know some background, you know, I've also kind of done some work with John dabbling in the in artist management, a little bit helping out with his band In Search of Sun, who's a British band. Um, who is awesome and we we love we're trying to help help them out um unlike john though i i haven't really been able to uh put on the management hat fully because i i personally feel like i couldn't really commit to the management side of things because i'm too entrenched as an artist you know and i think for for me to actually become an artist manager i'd probably have to give up doing music creatively because it's you know i'm still i still have that in me you know so i mean i, I think you know we just looked we're a little different than that. I don't know if you want to elaborate. Uh, you know, I'm still at a, at, a, at a bit of a crossroads. You know, it's like, am I a manager or, you know, but like right now with my new band, Eye of Tongues, which uh, we'll, we'll get to. Let's get, let's get, let's, uh, get to, let's talk about this, uh, this quitting the band and figuring out what you're going to do. Yeah. Um, it took a bit and then, you know. Enter Max Karen. <laughs> Max Max Karen. So uh, yeah, let's which is a devil driver tech. That that's how I met him. <laughs> Max Karen is a devil driver. You know that's our relationship began there. So and explain, I, used to, explain, I used to watch this motherfucker play guitar at Soundcheck, and I'd be like, God damn. He would show me a couple of demos he would work on. I'd be like, Fucking this dude, Jesus Christ. Um, and I approached him when I was like, you know what? Like I need to. I need to stick to my roots, so I'm going to do two things. I'm going to hit up this Max dude, and I also felt very stale as a player. So I'm like, I'm going to start taking lessons from David Elich, which, uh, God bless you, David. You really helped me out. Who's who's David Elich? He is a, you know, whatever you call it, drummer for hire, teacher, session dude. Uh, he's played for Miley Cyrus, Killer Be Killed, um, Mars, Mars Volta. Volta. He plays for 1975 now, right now, I believe. Um, and he's all over the place. You know, it's just he's he's that kind of drummer. He's one of those dudes. He's, a, he's one of those. He's dudes. in the one percent of the one yeah, percent. He made of me awesome. feel like a fool when I got in the room. Like, oh, my God. And he helped me change. He's like, well, you want to. We started with the way I held my sticks and I, I went back to basics and uh, stuff like that because I felt I needed to expand my playing because I'm not so interested in trying to compete with freaking Ben from Whitechapel anymore. You know, like speed is not something that uh, tickles my taint. Mm -hmm. So I knew I needed to express more on the drums and I need to learn more. So I did that and meeting Max, once we got into a room and started writing, it was it was instant like he was the guitar player i've been looking for and um with my sort of songwriting background skills and his playing skills i think we really created something fucking awesome you know now now for the record this is eye of tongues you're this new. is eye of tongues okay so you you and max you started you're getting together you're working you're working on stuff um now with this how much is he writing and how much are, are you writing as far as bringing in riffs and, and yeah pieces? it totally changed when it started i brought in i don't know three songs or something and uh it was the first time too where i'd be like all right here's this riff blah 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 and we would you know demo out some drums and then i just looked at a guitar and i just handed it to him like, yeah you you fucking play it like you know it's like and he and he would put his own twist on everything and then by the fourth song we, I wouldn't even come in with a riff. We would just talk about ideas and 
what kind of song we want to write, and his motherfucker just comes with it. So he wouldn't come in with stuff done. No. Uh, towards the end, when we, like sometimes we wanted to be a little bit more productive and shrink down the songwriting process. I'd like do a little work on your own and stuff, and then yeah. he would send me stuff, and I'd pick and choose and come and go. I would start here and here and there, but it was the first time towards the end where I literally wasn't at picking up a guitar at all and letting him get it all done, and it was fucking awesome. Right on. So, so Max, wherever you are, this uh, unheralded genius on, yeah. the, on the guitar, he's the one that came in, made this stuff happen. But he, uh, he's a guitar tech. He techs for... Uh, I think right now he's taking for Men. A Mice of Men, yeah. Okay. He does some f- Fear Factory tech stuff, too. So do you have uh, any other band members you wish to talk about <laughs> right now? You don't have to. You know, I, I know some things, but you know, by the time this, this podcast actually comes out, it'll, it might not... You know, it might be... A month or so from when we actually recorded this, so you know, I know. Yeah, there is there is a guitar player that just joined the band. I think you might know him. I know him. <laughs> it's possible. Maybe <laughs> that would be Doc Coyle, everybody. Yes, I, I I will be playing with this band, but much like anything, I will take no credit for anything. I'm I'm showing up late. You know, it's like you it's like you show up to a party with a bunch of like drinks and hors d'oeuvres, and you don't bring nothing to the party you just go right <laughs> in the fridge you grab you a sam adams and some chips and guac and you eat other people's shit <laughs> because that is better you know it's not better but sometimes you do that you know so you just didn't get a chance to go to the store and get a casserole you know well i'm glad we could bake for you and well uh, thank you it's eating time but uh yeah so there's still a little bit of lineup situations to do, but the record is getting mixed right now. And um, the vocalist, I think I'll wait on expressing who that okay. is. Um, yeah, he's a known name, though. Um, but uh, so, yeah, he's a known name. And when it's announced, I think uh, people will go, oh, okay, yeah, people won't be like, who's that? Um, and I'm really excited just to describe it. It's just mainly singing and not much screaming and that's really fucking hard to do was that from coming a, was, was from that, a background of just all screaming was that a conscious decision yeah i felt that would be the only way i could really do something that was different than devil driver like i just need to write music that isn't um anything like that and so to do that yeah how about singing instead of screaming but it you got to go back to the drawing board a bunch because it's just a whole shocking how hard it is to write a song when you can't just go yeah scream there scream there scream there well the thing is when you're when you're dealing with melodic vocals you literally have to write a new song on top of the song yeah you used to make fun of me or like we'd be partying and be like you know i'd be talking about the band you're like motherfucker you don't even know who's singing on it yet like you know i'd be like i i I know you're like uh yeah there was definitely some uh at points where i was like you know what fuck it i'm just gonna ask some dudes who have the best screaming voice involved and those people were just you know too busy to come around like I remember, and you're like, you you say you want singing, but then you just ask this dude. You know, I remember some of those conversations. But yeah, so that was me, this like getting out of lack of options. You know, like, and I started to get nervous, and I was like, fuck it, I need to just find somebody. But things settled down and worked out. So what? Um, all right. So you've been working on this project off and on for a couple years. You know, um, what like what keeps you going? Like what what's that that drives you to say you know because. At the point you're at right now, like it's just now kind of coming to realization in terms of putting the band together and and all that stuff. But like, like what do you think it is about someone like you uh, that 
you can like quit some big band and just go and start from scratch. Like what what is it that like every day gets you like that makes you want to persevere as opposed to just joining like some other big band? Um I would consider joining a a bigger band and some of those options kind of tingled around a little bit but never really came to fruition whatsoever. Like when I say they came around like very loosely, but like I would consider that, but I don't want to be I would love to just have my own band, you know, and like not ride off somebody else's coattails. That's that's an easy way out. Yeah. But um some of that stuff did happen to be honest and uh no point in really going into who those bands are, but uh but you did you just did some a stint with Devil You Know and you just played oh, with Snot, right? Yeah, that's not really what I'm talking about cuz those were just like, "Hey, we need you for this show or this tour." Yeah, it it was like join the band. Yeah, it wasn't like join the band. Um <clears throat> but what keeps me doing a new band is just like it's literally really the besides my wife or something like that the only thing that really keeps me happy you know yeah. is music um and it feels so good to just fucking get through all the hurdles and like fucking slave over music and fucking want to punch yourself in the face because you think you suck one day and the next you're confident like i just love that game man like yeah <laughs> it's a good time and uh like what's that AWOL Nation line you know he's like it's not supposed to be easy that's why it feels so fucking good and yeah. it's just like that is like that's what I'm all about you know yeah you know what listen I can I can identify with you know me doing my project uh, Vegas Nerve you know where we're pr- you know doing everything by ourselves we're paying for recording studios and we're paying for a video shoot and we're paying for travel and we're paying to get artwork made and, and you know and outside of just the money just the physical hours that that, that, that go into doing those things um i think you know and i, and I don't i don't want to give us too much credit but i think there's definitely something to be said for guys over over 30 oh yeah <laughs> um over 30 here you know who just left you know established bands you know you, you know because people don't realize i think sometimes how much of a value that name value is like you can literally get rid of all the members come back with five new people but as long as it has that name it has some value in in the marketplace and when you decide to not seek that and go kind of like all right i'm gonna start from scratch i'm gonna go out and and grind because you know at the end of our careers with with our other bands you're not spending money on stuff the money is, you know, there's a budget and there's an album budget that comes from a label and there's a tour. You get, you know, you get paid, you know, the X amount per day and, and everything. So you're making money from the band. You're not spending. And then you decide, hey, I'm going to start something brand new. Yeah, and it's not like I'm naive and, and didn't realize that maybe naive is not the word. It's just like. Yeah, that reality hit me very rather quickly. Like, all right, I gotta pay for studio time now. Like all that stuff. It's yeah, you gotta. That, you'll fall real quick to the to the wayside in terms of being over thirty and like you know if you really want to do it, you're gonna have to work your fucking ass off, you know. Uh, because I'm not down to sleep at my friend's house for you know uh, two months. Like you know, I got I got bills to pay and stuff and saving money to you know I had to work to save money to do the drums with Mark Lewis stuff like that like you know or um thankfully for home recording studios we were able to do the guitars and bass at home but we had to pay for all the vocal studio time all that stuff you know so yeah 
there's a lot of money I've invested in this already, and it does has no deal. It has no nothing. So I'm betting on myself, and uh, the fear of that is partially what I'm attracted to. Do you have any, like, short-term girl goals, long-term goals, anything like you're saying, all right, this is what I want to do with this band? Uh, what I've learned over the past two years is not to think, uh, not to think too far ahead, man, because it just stresses you the fuck out. Short-term goal. I mean, uh, yes, it's always important to have long-term goals. Yeah, let's fucking let's bring this thing to a level that's fucking working. But right now, it's let's play the first show, like you know, <laughs> and yeah. uh, and that in itself is a lot of work. So um, I just want to prove um, to myself, and that first show will be it, and prove to. Um, the other band members that are involved in this, like we're real, you know, like, and, and we're playing a show and, and we're not going to shop this without playing a show. We're not going to sit there with our hand out and say, who wants this, you know, based on anybody's name or anything. We're just going to try and like fucking be good enough where people come to us. Yeah. I feel that. And I, and I'll, I'll say this as far as, you know, me playing with different projects and bands, you know, since I've been away from God forbid is that, Pretty much, if your shit is whack, you know what I'm saying. Doc Cole is not showing up. Okay, yeah. <laughs> you know I'm not. <laughs> you know, and that's and that's not really to sit here and uh, say I'm I'm this great guy or anything. But I just I want to be a part of stuff that I enjoy and and music that I can get up there as a performer and feel it uh, without fakery. You know, I re- I really you know and and I can say, you know when when people hear this stuff, you know that it, it for me. I remember when when he first started showing me the stuff, you know, and and at the time I wasn't, you know, people have heard Vegas Nerve or even some of the, you know, the band Mates Hall I play with, like it's kind of a rock metal hybrid. That's where I've been. That's been kind of like my wheelhouse lately. And this stuff is metal that when I heard it, I was like, you know, I felt like outclassed to a certain degree or, <laughs> or, or kind of like, all right, yeah, I'm, I should keep playing rock and roll because clearly this, this, this next level of of metal stuff is like you know it's it's you know and i think that that happens just evolutionary level evolutionarily there we go there it uh, is <laughs> there it is um you know with with music like this is that you can see how things progress and it gets more complex and it kind of takes on new forms and and you know and you were there from the beginning like i would uh bounce so much stuff off you you know like because after you just start writing a bunch of stuff and you cancel that idea and you're starting a new band, I mean, you do go through periods of lack of confidence, like, you know, and like sometimes you just need your buddy to go, yo, shit is dope. Like, yeah. you know, like, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay, okay, all right, yeah, yeah, get, get back on the track here, all right? You know, it's like, uh, it's like, I can't explain to anybody out there who's been in one band for 12 years and you leave how hard it is to try and reinvent yourself. And uh, I think I did the first round. This will be a good job. Can I, uh, I have a question about... So coming from Devil Driver, which was kind of like a post-new metal meets new wave of American heavy metal kind of sound, like, did you feel like in those last few records with Devil Driver as comparison to where you are now with Eye of Tongues that, like, like does that feel stale by comparison or, like, less? No. No. no uh, when you're in a band, you're biased as fuck, and I still think, like, Beast and Winter Kills, I love those records. I think they're great. You know, I'll read something online where long life fans totally disagree with that. But uh, I think for the players that were in there and, and what we created, I still think is awesome. Yeah. You know? um, however, I will say 
playing live in that band towards the end, like when you become emotionally detached from something and you think you're going to quit again and stuff like that. Like, uh, I remember the last show and this isn't trying to be rude or anything. Like I just didn't feel anything. Yeah. Like I was just like, you, I thought, I wondered if I'd walk off stage with this really heavy romantic sentiment. Like there it was, man. <laughs> fucking last show, 12 years. Like, you know, I thought I literally like fucking cool. Tech got my shit. Cool. I'll grab a beer, go fucking hang out with some boys. Like it didn't even cross my mind. And that's like a true sign that I was detached and like writing another record with that band just seemed impossible to me. I was like, yeah. I'm, I'm out. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I definitely felt, you know, with God forbid at the end, trying to kind of squeeze more juice from that fruit. I think of the, that sound, you know, it's, it seemed any, any time you kind of go back to that. Well, it, there's less, there's less water there, you know? So, so you can't really get to a, uh, a pure and inspiring place without, you know, going new places and trying to create a branded with God forbid. And, stepping too far away from that like devil driver had a brand and a sound and like there was a lot of things i wanted to do but it would be completely illogical with a singer like des and we did we do have a fan base that expects a certain amount yeah um and we just were never that band like we we're not we weren't deftones that we we're gonna do around the fur and then throw white pony at you you know it's like yeah we just we were more right up the middle not too experimental not too technical you know and yeah in the end sometimes you you can't win everybody over, you know. So, so. Uh, one one cool question: What do you think about the new Devil Driver record that you're not a, a part of? Uh, I think it's it sounds like Devil Driver, you know. Okay, um, that sounds very very uh, diplomatic of you, sir. I mean, is it my favorite record of all the Devil Drivers? No, is it? Uh, I haven't listened to it enough to be like, "Yo, shit is whack." I just remember, of course, I'm gonna I'm fucking curious. Like that that was a really actually fun for me. Like, to actually go, oh, my God, like, fuck it, let's hear it. Like, you know, I'm not in it anymore. I thought it was pleasurable and exciting to go, okay, let's see what they fucking, see what my, because I love Mike, too. I was like, let's see what my boy did. Like, you know, let's see how he came. And uh, uh, I think they stuck to the brand name, and they stuck to the songs that that kind of, what was built up over the years. And um, I would have, it doesn't matter what I think, what they should or shouldn't have done. I just think they did a good job at, at sticking with the plan. Yeah, it's you know? so, it, I think it's, I think it's it's very solid, and it's uh, it sounds like a Devil Driver record. Yeah, but it's a little more similar, and I and I hate to keep you know bringing uh, comparisons to God forbid, but it's uh, it's my it's my show, so I'm gonna do what the yeah, fuck yeah. I want. Uh, but uh, <laughs> no, but like like our last record without Dallas. We ended up going more straightforward, more to the point, less kind of experimental, and um, you know, and that it kind of reminds me of of that in a way. And it seems like you know, I know the record sales were good the first week, so it definitely, you know, people were, seems like at least stateside people were were ready to hear that that band again. And they were coming off a record that did well. Uh, you know, Winter Kills outsold Beast, which is kind of cool. Um, in this day and age in its totality yeah yeah like by like twelve thousand units so uh it's kind of cool when when you're that late in the game and your last record did better than the one before because that's usually not the case usually sales keep declining but yeah so uh they were coming off a good record too which means i don't know people were interested and uh it seems to me that devil driver's business as usual you know right on man well so i'm i'm I pretty much got what I wanted, but I want to cover one more subject before before we wrap up. Um, people might not know this, but John is good friends with Philip H. Onsomo. All oh, right? okay, yeah. All right. 
Uh, well, I would say when I use the word good friends, like we've had a lot of experiences together, uh, but... You know, you have a relationship with yeah, with a relationship. Him. But when I say good friends, it's like eh, no. Um, but like you know, he's not calling me on Thanksgiving asking <laughs> asking how Nancy, my mom's doing. All right, you know? so so question one: How did you end up kind of developing rapport with with Phil? Um, let's see. Just the first tour we did was Super Joint Ritual, like. And let's, I mean, when I say I'm a fan of that dude, like, I, no, that's an understatement. Like, he is my number one, like, you know, so any chance I fucking was around him, you know, I made, I tried to, like, you know, hang out, whatever. And I sure for years, he was just like, hey, this fucking kid, hey, Dez's God little, damn it. Goddamn Dez's little boy. Hey, who the fuck um, is this guy? Yeah. And, uh, I don't know, is, and then, you know, at, at some point after f- fucking years or whatever, you know, he looks at you like, hey, What's your fucking email? Like, you know. <laughs> so Phil, so Phil's game is he's on that email game. That's where it's, he's on the email yeah, he's too. A, he's not a phone call. He's like, hey man, I do fucking emails like no one you ever heard of. Yeah, but dude, he had Devil Drivers back hard, yeah. and like you know, gave us our first tour and fucking shows were down or whatever. Anytime we're in New Orleans, he would invite us over to his house, stuff like that. All based on his relationship with Dez because those two are tight too. You know? What's Phil's house like? Does that shit look like a horror movie? It's... Is it like Texas Chainsaw To Massacre? me, it was exactly what I thought it was going to be. Like, you know, like, there's no flat screens in there. Like, you know, uh, he's just... It's filled with just weird shit. And uh, he's a collector. And the between the Pantera plaques and the walls of just boxing tapes and like you know he's got a big arcade game selection going on but then there's you know there's animals everywhere and uh and it's he just lives he lives very modest modestly you know like uh yeah he's not into having feng shui and and uh good furniture you know it's just it's uh is a it was a trip going to his house the first time being such so a give man. me we need we need like one good phil story something you, trying to think Something crazy that happened, all right? Crazy? I, I don't. I don't know. Just something. It, come on, man. We need. We. I don't get to hang out with Phil. All right. All I get to do is do Phil's voice to myself. Like, hey, duck. There's a there's a bunch of stories. You know, uh, I don't even know. There's there's details about some stories that I wouldn't want to get into. But just in general, Phil's been pissed at me before. <laughs> why was he pissed at you? I'm not gonna get into that. So. Oh, you can't get see, <laughs> see, man. This but is why people. Dude, want, this is why dude, people tune in, man. They want to hear. Don't hear the good shit. When man. that dude is, uh, when he's pissed at you, it's it's like fucking terrifying. That guy is fucking scary. Did he physically intimidate you? Get up in your in your personal space. He has a little bit, but uh, it all be it all. It doesn't bother me. I think that guy's fucking hilarious. And uh, you know, I know he's had a, a rough patch with the media lately and stuff like that. That's and that's that's one way to put it. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's one way to put it. Um, I personally have spent a lot of time with that guy. Um, I've been around many people of different colors around that guy. I've never seen him be racist before. I know he has done some shit on stage and said some shit on stage. And I truly believe that his statement, he's like, I have a problem of overindulging in alcohol and blurting out blunt, like, uh, you know, abrasive shit. And I think if everybody, there's no excuse for what he did. Yeah. None. But if everybody, if I had a camera on me a couple times, like uh, some of the dumb shit. A lot oh, of end bombs coming from John Berkman, right? No, no, not on? that stuff. A Just in of, general, uh, like people, <laughs> people, people fucking make mistakes and 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 uh i just i don't view 
Phil Anselmo is a racist. Yeah. Based on my personal experiences, which is a lot of them. Um, and I have his, I have his back. And, uh, but however, if you don't, I understand. Well, you know, me, not me, you personally, me, but I, just in general. Yeah. If someone can't get past that, that's their total right, and it and it's not cool what he did. So, what are you gonna do? Well, I wrote I wrote a a, a, a pretty in depth piece about the Phil Phil Salmo situation, you know, and, and and in in many ways, I wrote probably more about where, as a society in, in America, what what we're kind of dealing with in terms of uh, how we respond to people who fuck up. Mm-hmm. You know, because I think at the end of the day, he fucked up, and he'll, he would admit that. But he's also a guy who has a past. He, it's not this, he's not a, a first-time offender, as we, we, we would say it. Um, and, I, you know, and what was more – because I think it's really easy on one way or the other to either apologize for him if you're a fan or if you're someone who's kind of – um, you know, maybe a little bit more on the the right wing anti PC kind of side of things, or it's very easy to castigate him and say, "Fuck you! I'm never going to talk to you. I'm never going to deal with you." I think I think either either way, I think I, you know, and I, I tend, you know, and I don't know because I'm a Libra or whatever it is, but I tend to to be somewhere in in the middle on these things. And I think it's how do we move fo- once someone fucks up? How do we move forward? You know, and I think that's really the the interesting thing. I think uh, he's doing a good job at it moving forward. I think, uh, I personally, I, I believe he's, he said in his statement, you know, uh, overindulgence of alcohol. I believe he's been stopped drinking um, and he laid low and he's going to creep back and those who will accept him will and those who won't, won't. You know? Well, I think for, for him, it's, it's all about the goodwill forward because I think if, I don't know if that was his second strike or his third strike, but yeah. I don't know if there will be a fourth strike. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Like in, yeah, ter- yeah. In, ter- in terms of uh, the benefit of the doubt, because I think at the end of the day, I think if y- you go looking around, you'll find enough stuff that maybe you won't give him the benefit of the doubt. Um, he just uh, has radical views uh, sometimes that he's expressed. And is he honest? But the thing is, is, is I think what other people, since you have a better relationship, is he really honest though like about if he has radical views is he telling that to people or is he they they only creep out in moments like that like is that him saying white power is that one of his radical views no i I mean you you, this is well documented through the 90s and stuff you know just his reverse racism he probably has a lot of personal experiences when he was younger or something that um i was watching an interview with him a while ago you know where he's like you know i get in the 90s or something with a shaved head and stuff in new orleans and you know people would come after him of, of different races or whatever i guess you know like and um, well, that, well that's when be, shaving your head was a lot less common and it was directly I think associated he just, with yeah being. maybe he just you know who am i to speak for phil and what he really believes and stuff you know but like i think uh maybe he he'd just been uh Using that word reverse racism, I don't know. Some people say that doesn't even exist. I don't know. But uh, well, to, I feel, I I feel I a little uncomfortable yeah. like trying to discuss his personal life and his views because he's not my friend like that. Like He doesn't go, Berkeley, all right, so what do you think about this? Yeah. I'm just talking about what the things I've experienced is just like, um, you know, he's got black people in his band for Christ's sakes. Like, you know, Kevin, Which band? Superjoint? Kevin's black. Is he? Yeah. I don't know. He ain't that black. Yeah, Come he's on, not man. that black. But, uh, you know what I'm saying? You need to get some real brothers in there. Come on. Come on, Phil. Yeah. You know what? Matter of fact, if you want to, Phil, this is to you. If you want to let everyone know you're not racist, 
called this guy Doc Coyle. Um, he could play guitar. So you like you know, <laughs> if you need, you, or maybe you can do super joint ritual, but all black dudes, and I'll go get the dudes, and then that will be will be part of your your campaign to get back in order. We will help you. You know, it was always a good one-liner from him. I always enjoyed. Uh, Trevor from Unearth always loves this one. I don't know why, but like one time we went out to eat and we got in a cab and this cab driver is like, so where are y'all from? And just, I don't know if you love Phil, you just know that he's like, I'm from a band called Pantera. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just the, everything that comes out of that fucking dude's mouth is just classic. I, I don't know. So, uh, a unique individual and, uh, I love him. Well, this, uh, the space of the X-Men, um, this is a safe space. We can talk about stuff. We can uh, say our opinions without necessarily throwing people under the bus, you know. And uh, you know, I know John. You know, I've I've got had the fortune to tour with uh, Phil on a couple different tours, but I've I haven't really in- interacted with him. Uh, so I, I don't you know I don't have these awesome stories. So I was hoping to get a good story about you know Phil, you know, punching someone or throwing someone through a window. Or doing something like that. We didn't. We didn't get that this time. But um. oh, well, one funny one. I remember we were listening on Ozfest. We were listening to Superjoint in the back lounge. He loves to listen to his own shit. Just fucking bump it. And uh, and he started getting a little aggro. And he started you know nudging blah blah blah. And I was fired up. So I fucking I, I fucking wrecked him a little bit. Like you know like and you know back the, in the back of the tour buses they have those stereos where um, they're enclosed in glass. Okay. And the door the yeah. glass doors were open. So I, I kind of smashed him. And when I say smashed him, I'm not like fucked him up or anything. But like I hit him a little harder than I definitely should have. And uh, and his head went right into the corner of the glass and split his head open in the middle. Jesus, and blood Brooklyn. just started you know coming down his fucking head. And like everybody in the back was like, Berkeley. Like everyone just stopped like you fucking. <laughs> and I was like, what the fuck just happened right here? And then like he just like blood's in his face. He's hammered. He's like, this is fucking awesome, man. <laughs> like and then we got together, got the photo with the blood down his head. You know, like so... You know that was a that was a pretty classic. Yo, that for happened me. when uh, I saw Down. It might have been the last time I saw Down. They played in New York at the Best Buy Theater, and something happened. It was maybe the mic or something where he was bleeding on his head, and it was like, and it was a this show was fucking sick. Yeah. It was still <laughs> it was still when uh, Kirk was still in the band, and uh, he was bleeding, and it was awesome. So I think that's a good way to end it. Uh, brother, I love you. Thanks for coming on. I love you too. And uh, I Tongues should be at least a song released by the end of the year. Definitely, hopefully by then. And uh, keep your eye out for it. And thanks for having me on, Doc. Man, it's fucking rad. Of course, man. Uh, well, I hope you guys enjoyed this. Peace out. That was our talk with John Berkman. I love that dude. Really glad he could be my first guest on the X-Men. So what I'm going to do as a little little thing to send you off is I'm going to play the Vegas Nerve song called Pull Me Out. And this is a song we actually, I guess it's our first single, but it's a song we shot a video for. And I think it best kind of describes, you know, it kind of sums up the uh, the EP we did. Um, it's the first song we wrote. The video is awesome. I'm really excited about it. So I hope you guys check it out. Enjoy it. And this is the, your X-Men signing off onward and upward.
Hey, this is Mike Wiebe, and I'm the singer in a band called The Riverboat Gamblers. And I'm Zach Blair. I play guitar in a band called Rise Against. Mike and I also have a band called The Draculas, and we also have this great, amazing new podcast called Zach and Mike Make Three. Yeah, each week we're going to ask ourselves and we're going to ask our guests what three favorite things they are into at that moment or in their entire lives. And then we're either going to agree with them or we're going to make fun of them. And uh, you're going to listen to it and you're going to like it or we will make fun of you. How about that? I just flipped it on you, the person listening to this right now. But we're going to do it every week here on the Sound Talent Network. Once again, it's called Zach and Mike Make Three. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.